Good afternoon. I'd like to say welcome to all of our visitors. We are so glad to have you with us. We're going to continue um, in Colossians chapter 4. So if you would find your place there, Colossians chapter 4, we're going to be closing out uh, this epistle, this letter. So we've made it all the way through this letter by God's grace. There's a lot that we have learned. We've been encouraged. We've been able to apply uh, many of the things, the truths that is found within the scriptures. It's clear that Paul cares for this church so much that he decided to pin this letter himself. And so what would he say to these believers whom he have never seen, but is willing to give them a final word? What we're going to see at the close of this letter is Paul's farewell greeting and some specific instructions for the other churches who also will read this letter. Do you know, as Christians, we speak um, a different language. We are believers. We, we speak Bible, if you would. We speak the word of God because we're in the master's hand. And so we're, we're different now. God has changed and is changing us. The world don't know us and don't understand us. When someone has been touched by the master, it is obvious to those who know it. We can relate to it. We can identify with them because we also have been touched ourselves. Now, we're not saying we're to get in touch with ourselves, but rather we're saying we've been touched. Amen? Kent Hughes Hughes illustrates this best in one of his books called The Supremacy of Christ when he describes a story told by Myra Brooks. He states, Myra Brooks Welch tells the story of a battered, scarred violin held up for bid by an auctioneer who hardly thought it was worth his time. And it apparently wasn't, for the final bid was a grudging $3. But as he was calling $3 once, $3 twice, going for three. A gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow, wiped the dust from the old instrument, tightened the strings, and played the most beautiful melody as sweet as an angel sings. When the music ceased, the auctioneer holding it up with the bow said in a different tone, what am I bid for the old violin? 
Instead of $3, it went for 3000 The people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not understand what changed its worth. The man replied, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with a life out of tune and battered and torn with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd. Much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the wrath of a soul. The change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Do you remember the master's touch on you and your life. When it changed everything. Let us think about that as we read the text. As we are inspired in how God have worked in the lives of other brothers in Christ. Let us now read our text for this afternoon. Tychicus, Paul says, will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and full servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how you are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Astaricus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand Mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and the Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does demons. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you all. Our Lord and our God, oh, how we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would cause your word to penetrate our hearts and our minds that we might leave here a changed people. We pray, Lord, that you would help us make clear your word that even the little children would be able to understand. Grant clarity and a clear word to go forward. And we pray that fate would come. Fate would come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pray that you would grant salvation to the one who do not know you. Allow today to be that day. They will come and say, what must I do to be saved? Draw them with your drawing power. Help us now, Lord God, to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We've entitled today's sermon, Greetings from Paul and His Faithful Friends. According to verses 7 and 8, Tychicus is the first person mentioned in the text. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Paul goes on, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Let it also be noted that Tychicus is also mentioned four other times as well. The scriptures mentions him in Acts chapter 20. Verse 4, Ephesians 6, verse 21, 2 Timothy, verse 4 and 12, and Titus 3, verse 12. Tychicus was from Asia Minor who became a Christian at some point and eventually started serving with Paul during one of his missionary journeys. He was on the team. He began with Paul, serving with Paul, and Tychicus was one of those who had shared in Paul's ministry. He was chosen to bring the word to the church as to how Paul was faring in the ministry, considering that Paul often was in danger. Listen to how Paul described the dangers he endured in ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, it begins three times, Paul says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers Dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. This was the life of Paul. 
But Paul wasn't alone. Paul was doing ministry with others such as Tychicus. So Tychicus could relate because of his own loyalty to Paul. He had endured some of the same dangers with his own life as he served with the apostle. And so Paul thought it was fitting to send Tychicus. Tychicus understood what he had gone through. And so he sent Tychicus with the letter to the churches, but to also give report face to face so that they might hear about the current conditions Paul was in. See, Paul is in prison. And in many cases, it's always good to hear a report from the one who ministers well. And is faithfully serving in the ministry. It is his letter. Paul describes Brother Tychicus in the letter. And what does he say? He is a beloved brother. In the original, the word Paul uses is agapetas, which means that Tychicus is not only loved, but he's dearly loved. He's cherished, sometimes preferred above all. In other words, he's a prized and valued brother. He's considered worthy to be loved. Why did Paul love him so much? I think the answer is in in his next statement. It's because Tychicus resembles Christ. It's it's because he resembles Christ. How did Paul describe him? He stated that he was a faithful minister. Anyone who is a faithful minister ought to be loved because of their obedience to Christ. It's because they, they represent Christ. They are reflectors of the one who is righteous. The one who is good and perfect. And when we see that, it ought to remind us of our Lord and our God, our Savior. We, we see it all the time in our families. And we say, that boy looked just like his mama. I mean, just like her. Right? That's who we ought to be as we live before the world. We ought to be something different. We ought to be something unique that the world don't know about. We ought to represent Christ. And Paul is saying that. My dearly beloved, my cherished, the one who has served with me, the one who has been shipwrecked with me, the one in the wilderness who has experienced dangers. I'm sending Tychicus. And so, in many cases, when they saw Paul, they saw Tychicus. They say, Paul is not here, but this is enough. And so, Paul loved Tychicus, and he described him as a faithful 
minister. Then Paul adds another title stating that he's also a fellow servant in the Lord. Not only are we representatives of Christ, but we are representatives of one another. Therefore, we have the obligation of stirring up one another unto good works. Paul then states some additional information in verse 8. He says, I've sent him, Tychicus, to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So, so not only is Tychicus going to give a report, but he also wants to receive a report. In other words, we have a mutual responsibility of encouraging one another. Our relationship is not one-sided, but we're to build one another up. We're to edify one another on the basis of love. You see, that's our identity. That's how we're able to relate to one another. It's because we've been loved that we can love. And so Paul is saying that I I want you to understand who I'm sending. And I want to know how you're doing as well. And so we ought to not go around being unconcerned for one another. That's not the mind of Christ. We should make it our business to know about each other. And you know what? We have to keep it real. When things aren't good, we got to say what it is so that we might pray and encourage one another. We can't be surface Christians. You see, we're called to go deep with each other. And that requires us to spend time and to get to know one another. How can we really understand what's going on? And so God is calling us to go deep. And so we want to be concerned with one another. And we ought to live out Galatians 6.10 where it says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. You notice the word especially, right? that's, That's going beyond, right? So if we treat the world good, it's as the scriptures are saying, we ought to go beyond that with a brother and with a sister because of the love that we have from Christ. Also in 1 Peter 4.10, it states, as each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. In other words, none of us in here are the same, right? We're all different. We've all been given the grace of God, the spirit of God, but not one of us is the same. But we're to use whatever gift that God has given us that we might serve one another and the Lord. Anyone that is born of God ought to be concerned for the brethren because we are family. We're family. Then in verse 9, Paul says, along with Tychicus, 
Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place. And you remember Onesimus. You remember Onesimus at the time, at this time, was a runaway slave that became a Christian and was very helpful in Paul's ministry. Listen to Philemon 10 when Paul passionately, what he passionately states about Onesimus. He's talking to Philemon. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. This is a clear example of how Paul felt about Onesimus because he was able to see him converted. He was able to see the old man pass away and see Onesimus become a brother. That's how we are to see people when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to say, that could be my brother or that could be my sister if they receive Christ. You see, that changes everything when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because now I'm coming alongside them as if they are a brother in Christ. Because I want that for them. We want them to receive Christ. And so we want to come alongside them as sinners. And we're hopeful that they would receive the grace of God. And so Paul felt like he knew Onesimus considering the time he had spent with him in prison. Listen again to some familiar language, some of the familiar language in verse 9. He says, our faithful, beloved brother, there's that word, agapetas again, right? Dearly, right? And all of us to have these kinds of relationships is going to require time, and they they were in prison together. They had plenty of time. So this is a challenge to us. What, what, what are we doing to spend time with one another? The Colossian people knew Onesimus because of his former life of sin. But Paul knew he had changed and had become a man of faith because of his conversion. He was a new convert. Rather than being led by the flesh, he was now being led by the Spirit. And every day, he was being renewed and restored. He was seeking after God. His love for God's word grew, and he was being considered as a son in the faith. These are the men whom Paul considered beloved brothers and fellow workers in the faith. But notice what Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, in the body of Christ, there is no levels of faith. There is no classes of faith. There's no better than. 
but rather there is unity and there is a gathering of hands working together, pushing in the same direction for the sake and for the glory of God. There's unity when we work together. I'm not clear on the timing, but we know that at some point, Paul sent back Onesimus to Philemon, not as a slave, but now as a brother. The reality is this, even now God still changes lives. Today, some may need to recognize that Jesus Christ is your only hope. In other words, you must be born anew. You must be born again through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can have peace with God. There's no other way of having a relationship with God. The Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. And so we are sinners in need of God's grace. We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for our sins, was buried, rose from the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you believe that message and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, 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 what you must believe? You must believe that Christ died for your sins. You must believe that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You must believe, for it is through your faith that you're saved. For God so loved the world. And he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That's the beauty of the angelion, the gospel, the good news. Is that we didn't have to work for it, but we receive it in faith. And so, accept the invitation to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Be saved from your sin and let the master make you over. Christ is the way. And we can all get along in Christ. There's no other way. Christ is the only way. He enables sinners to come together in fellowship one with another. And so we, if we're going to say that we can get along being in Christ. Something is wrong if two believers who supposedly is walking with God and cannot walk together as one. Something is wrong. Right? Our fellowship with one another is dependent on our faith. Real fellowship allows for us to come together. And so in the next couple of verses, Paul is going to make known to the church at Colossae and others who would read his letter, the loyalty, the sufferings, the optimism, and the eagerness the brothers had in serving the Lord 
that the gospel might advance. So we understand why the Lord would say we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And so, in those verses, six people serving with Paul in Rome sent their greetings. Three were Jews, and three were Gentiles. The three Jews were Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called Justice. This goes to show us that we cannot fall into the same cultural and religious differences that the world were used to being divided over. We cannot let the world dictate how we are to treat one another. We've been governed by the word of God. We've been called to live under the word of God and the principles that are found within scripture. And the scripture teaches us that we can be divided. But rather we're united in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so... We know that the gospel can bring together people with different nationalities and languages in unity with one another. That is beyond comprehension. No other message can do that. Only the gospel allows us with various differences to strive with one another and with God. It's the gospel. Listen to what the scripture states in John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when new birth happens, there's union with Christ and the people of God are no longer in opposition to him, but instead is brought into a life of reconciliation with God. Every blessing that a Christian receives is a gift received in Christ. We are united to him in resurrection to a new life in God. In Romans 6, verse 6, Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We are set free from the bondage of sin in order that we might live a righteous life unto God. In verse 10, Paul acknowledges that Aristarchus was imprisoned with him at the time, and he also sends his greetings. Paul states, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. In this letter, we're, we're starting to see more and more that Paul was not a lone ranger. Paul was in ministry with others. Oftentimes, the women are mentioned. In this case, the men are, are mentioned. But Paul was never alone. Paul was in ministry with others. 
And so he depended upon brothers and sisters around him who were supportive not only of him, but of one another that was willing to serve each other for the sake of the gospel. You see, when we put the gospel in play, play that, there's a constant, constant dying. Right? We're dying over and over to ourselves for the sake of the gospel to go forward. And we're not saying that we're perfect at it, but it should be a practice. It should be a discipline that we're including in our lives. Why? Because we want to glorify God. And so Paul was determined to do this. Question, are you willing to serve when you're faced with trials, discomforts? hardships and sufferings for the sake of Christ. What are you willing to give up for the sake of Christ? In what ways can we deny ourselves in order that we might serve Christ? This is not a question for us to to answer looking outward. Rather, it's a question for us to answer looking inward. What can I do? See, we're to accept our own responsibility to see what we can change and what we can do. So Paul is sharing the life of these Christians to the Colossians so that they too might be encouraged. Paul then adds, and Mark, the cousin, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, this is going to need a little um, translation. What Paul is trying to say is, show the brother some love. <laughs> right? When he, when he comes, show him love. Right now, now it's interesting because this this is Mark. This is John Mark. This is the brother that Barnabas and Paul had a a disagreement about, and it wasn't just like no little small argument. You know they right, but 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 as time went on, and John Mark grew. Paul said, I could use them in ministry. And I don't know, maybe Paul realized that he could have did something different. Barnabas, the man, I'm surprised Barnabas allowed Paul to get away because his very name mean, mean encourager. But yet it just goes to show us that we can have disagreement. But how we deal with it is important. We must respond in the right way. And so here it is. Paul had a fallout with Barnabas because of Mark. But according to the text, things have changed. Paul spoke well of Mark compared to what he had done before. And so it's not to say that we won't have disagreement. It's not to say that we won't uh, become frustrated with one another. That's what happens in families. That's what happens when we allow our flesh to rule us rather than living according to the scriptures. 
And so here it is. These are brothers that Paul is recognizing, and he's saying that they ought to be treated with respect, with a high regard for what they have done for Christ and his church. Then there's justice. Paul mentions that these men have been a blessing to him in so many ways that he calls them fellow workers for the kingdom of God and a comfort to himself in having them around. Have you ever been around somebody who is just pleasant to be around? I mean, just just make life good. They just encourage you. Every time you see them, there's a smile on their faces. They have always have something good to, to say. My, Paul is saying, this is my guy. This is my dude. And so here it is. Paul is recognizing them to the Colossians, and he's saying, justice sends his greetings. Look at verse 11, Paul states, and Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me. Paul mentions uh, the three Gentiles that were with him, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Verse 12 and 13, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and the Hierapolis. So according to the text, Epaphras, who was sent, who sent his greetings and the believers that struggled for the sake of Christ is a worthy it's for a worthy cause, and it is something for us to continue as, as well. And so in addition to believing it to be a worthy cause, he also believes that prayer also led to the following. He states, a firm position in faith, a mature faith, and a full assurance in the will of God. In verse 13, Paul testifies on his behalf. Epaphras was well known by the Colossians. He probably preached in all of the churches. And so people knew Epaphras. So this is Epaphras sending his greetings to the Colossians. And others in that region would testify as a witness that he struggled on their behalf in prayer in order to see them spiritually prospering before the Lord. Is this our attitude for one another? Are we laboring for one another in prayer as we ought to? When we hear the prayer request, do we drop down on our knees and pray? Or do we pray? Push it off. I have time. I'll get to it when I can. I'm busy. Right? But when you get to know somebody, when you know them, you take them seriously. 
And when they ask you to pray, you pray. Because you can feel, you can sense what they're growing through. And in order to do that, we must know them. Right? And so that's the challenge for us, is for us to continue to get to know one another. And so Paul is saying, look, I know the brother. And he labors for you often. He sends his greetings to you. And so, are we laboring for one another in prayers? We all through James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If we're going to serve God and one another, then we must have a passion that matches purpose. Right. If we are purposeful in what we're doing, we are to follow it with passion. It's governed by the word of God. Our brother Aaron was telling us uh, and encouraging us that as we know more of God, we are to spend ourselves in worship. We have to come here with expectation to worship the true and living God with all that we are because it's worthy. He is worthy. So our faith must be active. So faith is not something that is inactive. As a Christian, what we change, what we can change, what is it? that we can change in order that we might better serve the Lord. What are we willing to give up for the sake of Christ? It could be time. It could be talent. It could be treasure. What is it? Lisa, unless our faith becomes inactive. Then Paul mentions Luke, who was basically his traveling doctor, who, who took care of Paul when he got sick. And Paul also was a, I mean, um, Luke also was a historian as well. So he was able to write down the things that were happening as well. And so that's why we're able to have the book of Acts. So Luke, the beloved physician, there's that word, agapetas again, right? So you, you see the challenge that we're having, that that. We, we, we got to stir that up in ourselves, right? But then he says, um, Demas at the time was with Paul serving, but there would come a time when Demas would become entangled with the world. This, this happens when faith is inactive. Demas started out fine, but at some point he became entangled with the world and he left Paul. He left them. And Paul felt that. See, when you spend time with people and then they leave, when you, got, when you have relationship, people feel that. Right? And this is what Paul is expressing. He's showing his humanity. It's as if Paul is saying, I was hurt when Demas left me. I was in prison. And he left. And there's a warning for us in scriptures. 
in the scriptures. Proverbs 26 and 11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit, his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Or to never to go back to the world for anything. We have everything that we need in Christ. Now, listen again to how Demas, who was with Paul, assisting in ministry, but did not continue. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul mentions Demas again in this way. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The text stated that Demas deserted Paul, but it didn't stay, but he didn't stay, say that he deserted Christ. So I'm not sure about that. But he did desert Paul. Whatever camp you fall into, we're reminded of John, John's statement in 1 John 2.19, which states, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And then Paul remembered to send his greetings to the believers who had helped him in his ministry in Laodicea. In verse 15, he states, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And as final instructions, Paul commands that the letter that the Colossians have must be read so that the Laodiceans hear the letter. But then the letter that the Laodiceans have must be read to the Colossians. And in verse 16, Paul states, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And as a word of encouragement, Paul takes this moment. As he is about to close his letter, he sends a word of encouragement to our chippers. Paul takes this moment, a fellow servant of Christ who also ministers the word to the people of God. Paul says, and say to our chippers, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. When was the last time you especially took some time to encourage someone else that you maybe don't see very often, or maybe don't spend a whole lot of time with. It's an encouragement for us. Look for opportunities to do good, to inspire and encourage others to follow Christ. Lastly, Paul authenticates the message saying, it's me. I write this letter with my own hand. I have written this letter with my own hand. In other words, it's not my assistant that wrote this one. He says, I wanted to greet you myself. I wanted you to know it's me. And brothers, he says, pray for me. It's as if Paul is saying, I need you. I'm in chains. Right? Paul was a man like us struggled like us, needing prayer like us. And so Paul is saying, don't forget me. Then he wishes 
that the grace of God would be with them all. He wishes them well. Right? That's a beautiful thing to say to somebody. May the grace of God be with you. May the grace of God be with you. Right? We're, we're wishing blessing on those whom we love. And so Paul states that. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And I want to close with this thought. Let's allow God to fan the flames within us and let us burn. Let us burn for the glory. Let us be set on fire for the glory of Christ. And may he receive all of the glory. Let us be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of Christ. Let us come out of our comfort zones to do all that God would have us to do. And let us say in Jesus' name. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. Pray that your word would be effective in our lives, that we might obey and live out your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.